Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Junction, in the Grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Welcome, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind and you are in North Mississippi, Give Mississippi Land Bank a shot. There's a good chance if you're in the land business, whether you're a farmer or you have bought recreational property, you, you've already done business with Mississippi Land Bank. And if you haven't, well, it certainly would be worth the conversation. You can find their website with branch locations or the phone number to reach out to them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Well, it is official in Big D. Love Jerry Jones' quote. I'm 100 million lighter as of this morning. Zeke has been arguably our best player. We're glad to get him booked in. We're glad to have him on the team. He plays a position that has some pretty interesting dynamics to it because running backs are short-lived, although we had what I consider to be one of the top five greatest ones in Emmett Smith, and Emmett ran the ball for 13 years. So you don't have to have a four- or five-year career to be a running back. And that is what the Dallas Cowboys are banking on, a six-year extension that will lock him up for, what, a total of eight seasons? He's 24 years old right now. That would take him to 32, which is pretty doggone old in running back years. But that part of the saga is over in Dallas, and now all of the attention turns to Dak Prescott and whether or not they will get a deal done with him. Good to have you along this afternoon. The C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395, C Spire, customer inspired. How's it going, guys? Borky, what's up? I just realized I spent all show yesterday and my podcast this morning saying the Cowboys are a legit uh, contender to win the AFC, and that is not a conference that they play in. No, it's not. Um, and I knew that too. I'm just, you know, I, I I was talking, and that came out a bunch yesterday and this morning. And now that I was looking up the standings because I wanted to say it again that even though I think it long term it's a bad deal, uh, the Cowboys as they're currently built uh, can contend for the NFC, not the AFC. Let's be honest, though. The NFL is about short-term success and figure out the rest later, right? When you're in a window, you do whatever you've got to do to compete and try and win a Super Bowl in that window. 
The Patriots are the exception. They are not the rule. The Saints are, we, we talk about it all the time, hey, Dad, they're on the back end of their window because Drew Brees is not going to be around that much longer. Or at least we keep saying that, and he keeps popping up. Uh, the New York Giants window closed a couple of years when they had, uh, what, wholesale changes on the offensive line, and they lost some defensive guys that could get it done, and they have lost a significant running back before they drafted Saquon Barkley. Um the Los Angeles Rams are currently very much in their window if Todd Gurley can stay healthy. And they just extended the contract of Jared Goff. Uh, Philadelphia, very much in its window right now. Chicago trying to climb back into that window. And so you got to make a run at it when you can. Uh, the, uh, the Miami Dolphins are living in a house that has no windows. They aren't living in a house. That's not a house. They live in a van down by the river. <laughs> that has no windows on it. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, do you agree with that, though, that, that you know, salary cap down the road be damned, we got to figure out how to win and win right now, and so we'll sign the contracts that we've got to sign in the short term to get it done, and we'll figure out the rest later? Because they do have a window. If they weren't so good up front and on the other side of the ball, this would be a really bad deal. But this team, as it's built, can compete for a Super Bowl. Absolutely can. Rippy, do you like this move to to pay big money to Zeke? Knowing that you've also got to pay big money to Dak, and if you're going to keep Amari Cooper, you're going to have to pay him big also? Uh, Yeah, but it's probably an exception and not the rule in the sense that, like, Running backs aren't really that valued, but the Cowboys are because their entire offense kind of revolves around Zeke, and I don't think there's another team in the league constructed like that. So, yeah, I would pay him. Tell me if I'm crazy on this. I I hear what you're saying, but I might argue that the success of the Dallas Cowboys revolves around that offensive line and what it does for Zeke and then what Zeke does for Dak and ultimately the entire offense. Does a lot of pass catching stuff as well, but I mean, yeah, I guess if they didn't block for him, he couldn't run very far. David and Oxford on the ceasefire text line, Cleveland is starting their window. I agree with that. Yeah, we'll we'll see if Cleveland, who historically has been a poorly run franchise, can sustain good decision making over a few more years as they continue to build that roster. So I guess we'll see if this morphs into a baseball-type thing. She didn't hear the term window until very long ago in football, and then you have a team openly tanking now for the first time, it seems, in the Dolphins. Isn't the problem with what the Dolphins are doing, though, is that, okay, you're tanking to go get the quarterback, but if you look at the most recent example for that, and it wasn't necessarily a tank, it was because of Peyton Manning's in- injury that the window opened for Indianapolis to go get Andrew <laughs> Luck but they were so bad up front that ultimately they hampered him in the long run because of the beating that he took. Isn't that the problem with that strategy? Yeah, it's crazy because, like, you can do it in basketball, right? I mean, you had, what, 10 teams tanked to get a 14% chance to get Zion because that changes dramatically your team. But in football, if you have a quarterback and a garbage roster otherwise, you still have a bad football team. The thing is, though, it's not like Indianapolis couldn't have solved their their offensive line problems along the way. They they just really did a poor job of drafting and protecting Andrew Luck. You could go out the Dolphins, although I don't agree with you know if you wanted to get Tua, why would you not keep Tunsil to protect him? But they can go out and draft offensive linemen and sign free agent offensive linemen and protect him. So you know I think that that what happened with Luck is sort of a 
I don't want to use a pun here, but I think it was just bad. Bad luck's not right either because they could have they could have fixed that situation and protected luck better than they did through the years. Yeah, some of his injuries were kind of freak injuries, but some of them, at least the the um, the cumulative toll that they put on his body, didn't have to happen as quickly as it did. Right. It's also not a hundred percent certain they're taking for two. They have a top what twelve draft pick on the roster. In, that's 22 years old. Top 10 pick, excuse me. In Rosen. Who are you talking about? Josh Rosen. Pretty good. That's true. I did that's, see uh, somebody it, say that um, maybe they're starting Ryan Fitzpatrick because they realize that they have a potentially good quarterback in Josh Rosen and they don't want to kill him before they can use him seriously. <laughs> maybe so. Another way to look at it is if you're going to tank, maybe they're tanking for the long haul. They'll use the draft picks this year. To you know, get some some pieces, and then they're looking ahead to next year, maybe, and they want to get the, Trevor the following Lawrence. season when they could get Trevor Lawrence, as opposed exactly, to trying to get yeah. two of this. If year. you're going to tank, do it the right way and set the do what the Sixers did, and you seem to have set your franchise up for long term success. Don't just tank for one guy in one draft class. Uh, one other team that falls into that window category right now is the Houston Texans, and they got better with Laramie Tunsil. Uh, they may have gotten better in the locker room by letting Jadavion Clowney go. They've got J.J. Watt, who's got some years left, we think, and if he stays healthy, he can play at a really high level. They're pretty good at running back. They've got a top-five wide receiver. They've got a top-ten quarterback. All of a sudden, the offensive line's better. they got some dudes on the defensive side. That's a team that can win the division. John Harris will join us from the Houston Texans. We'll talk a little bit that uh, about that this, uh, this afternoon and also look ahead to the opening night of the NFL tomorrow night. Stephen Godfrey will join us from Banner Society. Deuce McAllister from the Saints Radio Network will join us this afternoon. All of that happening on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favrates.com and go with the home team. We'll look at the particulars of Zeke Elliott's deal. We will look at the particulars of Jared Goff's extension. $110 million guaranteed. That's a big number. Do you like the play that L.A. makes with Goff long term? It makes sense, right? Although you do, it, maybe this isn't fair because he threw for almost 5,000 yards last year and took his team to the Super Bowl. Um, you do wonder if he's kind of a system guy that you could plug a lot of guys into that situation in L.A. and get similar production, but you've got him and he's working, so you've got to pay him. I mean, that's the thing. When you've got your guy, whether or not there are other guys that could do the same thing, that's really too big of a crapshoot in the NFL. Because starting quarterback is such a commodity, and Jared Goff has shown improvement in each year that he's been in the league. Last weekend, Tennessee was a massive home favorite. They were upset at Neyland Stadium by Georgia State. There are a bunch of big home favorites this weekend in the SEC. Should any of these teams be on upset alert? A bunch to get to with you this afternoon. We'll talk Saints and NFL with Deuce McAllister next On the Farm Bureau phone line, that is when we continue with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. The NFL season officially begins tomorrow night. We have made it to week one. We have gotten through the blah of NFL preseason games. Packers and Bears get things started Bunch of games on Sunday, doubleheader on Monday night, including the highly anticipated matchup between the Houston Texans and the New Orleans Saints in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome.
on Monday night. Deuce McAllister from the Saints Radio Network joins us right now. Deuce, what's up, man? Finally made it to week one. Finally, finally is here and it can't get, uh, the games can't start fast enough. How amped up is the city of New Orleans in, uh, in, in general? And the Superdome on Monday night in particular going to be for a season opening Monday night game against a good team when expectations for both are pretty high. I think expectations for both teams are really high, like you talked about. But to be a referee and to be stepping into that, we'll just call it a hornet's nest, Hmm. is going to be something interesting to see. I mean, this is one that really counts. And I think the fans so far have been nice and for them they get an opportunity to really show their displeasure and oh it just happens to be on monday night so that's going to be an interesting you know just an interesting situation but i think from a player standpoint i think the guys are just wants they want to go out and play you know they just want to go out and play the game and so uh it should be an exciting matchup i know uh when you look at the, the texans man has that team changed over the last just month you know you knew that they were a good team but they have so many missing pieces, and I think for the Saints to catch them early rather than later is probably a, a good thing as well. Deuce, you know the importance of offensive linemen, especially the left side of the offensive line if you've got a right-handed quarterback. What does the addition of Laramie Tunsil do for the Texans' offensive line? Well, that's what I mean when you talk about playing them early uh, instead of later on in the season. I mean, because in a sense, they will have a limited playbook. And just because he's got a rookie uh, left guard that's playing with him, but also he's been there less than two, two weeks. You know, we'll call it 10 days. And so for him... Yeah, some of the verbiage may come out easy, but when you talk about communicating on the road and the atmosphere that we're expecting, it, it, it's basically silent count uh, for for him, and so he's, he's he's acting off of movement. But when you talk about communication with the guy next to you, I mean, both of those guys, you know, one is, is played in, what, a couple of preseason games, and the other, he's a veteran, but he's only been there 10 days. So um, he, he, he will be able to go out and do something when you talk about one-on-one matchups. But uh, when you talk about passing stuff off and then being able to bump up and being on the same page with the, with the running backs who is who are new as well, that's a lot. How healthy are the Saints going into week one? Well, Sean Payton doesn't really give us any um, <laughs> during the preseason. He doesn't give you any injury updates, so we we have some speculations, uh, but no no true injury updates from that stance. We'll get the first uh, bit of news from him as far as injuries are concerned tomorrow. Couple concerns: uh, Alex Anzalone. I know he's been dealing with the injury, and uh, uh, Craig Robertson, another backup linebacker, one of your better special teams player. Has been has been dealing with injuries, but outside of that, everybody else. Uh, Jared Cook on offense, um, he probably could have played if it was a regular season game. The last two preseason season games, but they held him out as well as uh, uh, Murray and Latavius Murray as well. So, uh, if there's anything official, we'll start to hear a little bit about it tomorrow. But you know, right now, you really that's just speculation. Deuce McAllister on your radio. He's the color analyst on the New Orleans Saints radio network. He is uh, the greatest running back in New Orleans Saints history and uh, was an All-American at Ole Miss as well. Deuce, I'm so fascinated by your perspective on this Ezekiel Elliott saga that has now come to an end. Um, 
from a player standpoint, my, my guess is you're all four guys getting whatever they can get because you never know when the, the game goes away. But I feel like you've also got, especially with the role that you're in now, a better understanding than most of us about salary cap and the ability to sign multiple guys. So this deal that came out last night, this morning with, with Zeke Elliott, um, a really big contract They've signed some offensive linemen. They've still got to do something with Dak. They've still got to try and do something with Amari Cooper. Is there a way for Dallas to make it all work financially? What you see right now from Dallas and a lot of teams really in the NFL is a lot of funny money. Um, Ezekiel it will not see eight years, $90 million. I'm happy that he was able to sign, but in the NFL, it's all about what is guaranteed. And I think yeah. for, for Zeke, I think it's right around, what, 40, 35 million roughly, somewhere now. I, don't, I can't remember right off the top of my head the numbers to be exact. But I think what you have for him, uh, I think it's like a four-year deal, truly. And then after that, it's a it's a one year deal. So if he's playing at a high level, uh, the Cowboys are in prime position to have him locked in at a very favorable rate, uh, in a sense, because the salary cap for the last uh, four or five years, six years, has gone up uh, right at ten million dollars um, per season. So for for Zeke, there's two things that kind of really happened for him. One, he had two years left on his deal. Okay, he was able to really force their hand because he felt like the offense ran through him. For the Cowboys, they got the years that they wanted. So Ezekiel was able to get some upfront money. Um, for right now, they lowered his, his base salary down to uh, the, the minimal as far as they as low as they could get it for his years of service. But right. they were able to tack on. Um, what six years to his deal to his contract? So they didn't tear up the two years that he had, and that's where you get the eight overall years for $90 million. And so um, it's an interesting dilemma. I'm always for the player. I know those careers, um, they could be gone in a second, uh, and it's really about the guarantee. It's really about the guaranteed money because after you're out of the, the guaranteed money, uh, and teams sometimes will cut you then, they can cut you and be off the hook for the rest of their salary. Is it different with Dak Prescott? Uh, does does what they've done with Ezekiel Elliott affect what they're able to do with Dak, or is the fact that the salary cap hit is actually a little lower good? Uh, and and how much of a salary that they have to move around with maybe a, so, some other players. You look at Tyron Smith. He was the first offensive lineman to sign a long-term deal. He's been banged up really the last couple of years. So to, to, to truly to get a deal done if they wanted to with Dak, they would go to a player like he and uh, extend his contract probably out even further, give him some upfront money, and create the salary cap space to be able to sign Dak. What's interesting with, with Dak is the two quarterback deals that have gotten done here recently. And so you talk mm-hmm. about Carson Wentz and then even last night, Jared Goff. So since Dak is up next, the quarterback, if I'm Dak, I'm asking for over the 33.5 average years um, that Jared Goff just got. You know, I know originally it was uh, you wanted to be Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz's deal, uh, you know, as far as average per year, and that's kind of you're the next guy up. So it's very rare that you would take less than that. And I think that's kind of where you have the standoff between he and the Cowboys. You know, the Cowboys may feel like, hey, look, it's a better deal for us 
to let him play out this deal and put a franchise tag on him just to see if he can have some of the success that he has had. And, you know, yes, after that, we can pay him. I don't think it's a, it's a situation of we don't have the funding to be able to pay him. Uh, I think they can obviously do that if they choose to do it. It's just moving some of the, the cap space around. I mean, and look, at some point, if they're not winning, they're going to blow the whole thing up anyway. And, you know, you talk about players will be released uh, at, at, at that point. But, you know, that that's down the line. Deuce, last thing. Got about a minute left. Um, Drew Brees, this year, this year and next year, this year and two more years, if, if you were laying odds on it or having to bet on it, what would you bet on? Enjoy this year. I just think enjoy this year. I won't put words in his mouth and say this is his last year, but, you know, I just want to say we're going to enjoy it. I mean, because if he's able to play at the high level, it should be a successful year for the Saints. I didn't know you were running for office. Man, that was a political answer. That's the only thing I could give. I mean, because uh, I've been saying it's the last year for the last three years, and he's he's played outstanding. (laughs) Can he play at the same level that he's played at for the last couple of years, assuming he stays healthy for a couple of more years, theoretically? Theoretically, I don't think he can. Uh, And then for the Saints, they're going to be in a situation that you really see Dallas in um, because you've had to pay some other players. And so for them, how do you cut it up? How do you cut this pie up? There's only the one pie that you have to cut up. And, you know, it's hard when you don't have a quarterback on a rookie deal. When you have a quarterback on a rookie deal, you can pay some of the other players. When you don't, that makes it tougher. Uh, But the way that he has played, I mean, it's hard-pressed to see him not playing at that level. Deuce, you know I love your insight. I always appreciate your time. Hope uh, I bump into you on Monday in New Orleans. My first trip to uh, to NOLA for a Saints game in, oh, I don't know, about five years or so. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that should be a lot of fun, man. It's, it's going to be crazy in there. Thanks, Deuce. You're the best, man. All right, no problem. Thanks. That's Deuce McAllister on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey on a Wednesday. So we are getting close to turning the page to week two of the college football season and kind of wrap up the whole look back to week one. A uh, couple of notes on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Lucas and Union. Dolphins tanking for Tua? They better hope he can stay healthy or they will wind up with a broken QB like the Titans with Marcus Mariota. That, you don't change your strategy, though, right? I mean, if, 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 if there's an elite quarterback or multiple elite quarterbacks that are going to be available in the draft and you have a chance to draft what you believe is a transformative player at that position or I I should say a generational player at that position then you do everything you can to get him right if you don't have one of those guys although Rippy brought up a really good point a second ago they do have Josh Rosen who was considered to be one of those guys just two years ago coming out 
Which does make you wonder what they actually think about him. Yeah. Because they did just get rid of what will be a franchise left tackle, upper echelon, elite type of guy. Also, has Tua ever been hurt? Tonga Valoa? Yeah. Last year. Yeah. Yeah, he was hurt at the end of last season, yeah. He played hurt for a big part of the season and then got hurt significantly in the SEC championship game. And remember all the pieces we saw about how the trainer was like with him 24 hours a day, like doing treatments on that broken ankle, trying to rehab it between surgery after the SEC championship game and playing in the playoff? Right. Well, he missed the second half of the SEC championship, or, well, the fourth quarter. I mean, Jalen Hurts came in and led Alabama to a. So he missed a quarter of football? Yes. I don't understand the Mariota comparison. Mariota's like been. Yeah, they're saying the th- you don't want him to turn into Mariota if you tank for him and then don't build protection around him. I think is how I interpret that. I mean, he's only played one season in a game, and he had some injuries that he dealt with a year ago. I mean, he dealt with an ankle injury for a big part of the second half of last season. Played through it, played pretty effectively, but his numbers in the second half of the year were not nearly what they were in the first half of the year. They're still staggering. And he wasn't good against the two best defenses that he saw in Georgia and Clemson at the end of the year. Also, uh, let's see here. Dak is the center point of the Cowboys. That is from Grant. I think Grant's saying they'll do whatever they have to do. Howell and Starkville, you know who's happiest about Jared Goff's contract? Dak. Paying $100 bucks to a running back would tell you all the evidence you need to know about otherwise about who's the center point. What other what other team what other thirty one teams in the National Football League are paying a running back a hundred million dollars? Well, the Rams are paying. I mean, it, it, you heard Deuce say a second ago, it's all about guaranteed money. That or Zeke gets fifty million guaranteed. Todd Gurley got forty five million guaranteed. Just don't know if he's healthy. And they probably regret that decision. Well, they may. But if he comes back healthy this year, I mean, healthy Todd Gurley was stupid good. Saints are going to be paying a running back close to that when uh, when Kamara comes up. Do you think he'll get that much? Even though he's a different type running back than those the, two guys? The, the problem is that I don't know how much of his talent is made by the fact that he has Drew Brees back there with him. So, I don't know. Yeah, but he's not an every-down back, is he? I mean, he's he an every-down back. We're, we're going to see a little bit of that back. this year. We're going to see a little bit more of that this year. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't want. I don't want to play the Butch Jones role here and say that he can't do it because he, he probably. He, I think he could. We're gonna find out though. Um, we talked about cliches on Monday. The you improve the most from week one to week two, two cliche that almost every coach in America gives you. Uh, Matt Luke used it early in his press conference. Joe Moorhead used it post game on Saturday. So here's a question: If you're thinking about improvement from week one to week two. Hey, Dad, with Mississippi State, what problems did you see from Mississippi State on Saturday in the season opener that can be fixed, whether it's between week one and week two or between week one and week six, and what other problems are just going to kind of be there? That's just kind of who you are and what you got to work around this year. The biggest problem that I saw on Saturday was missing tackles, and I think that is something that you can fix. That's something that you can improve because that's just a – that's just a mental thing to me. That's that's not wrapping up and, and doing what you what football players know how to do. That's something that they can fix. Um, Tommy Stevens, the the uh, the one turnover that he had. And I I actually asked Stevens that question last night. And I, I I phrased it that way. It's like you know, coaches always say, 
Uh, and he said that he he you know he wanted to work on ball protection. He was he, that that fumbled uh, sticking with him uh, that he had on on Saturday. As for something that you know, I don't know if you can fix it or not. I mean, they got some depth issues, and and you know they had them especially on the defensive line. They had them coming into the season, and now with it, with it looking like Lee Autry is going to be one of these guys who's suspended, you know that that that's it's made it even tougher. That's something that you can't correct it week one to week two. The only way it can be corrected is maybe by season's end, some of these young guys like Lovett, Crumity, maybe Nathan Pickering can start playing a role. Um, they can get better as the season goes on, but that's certainly something you can't. It's not you're not just going to snap your fingers and be better at that in week two. Rippy, what about with Ole Miss? What happened that you saw on Saturday that was a problem that can be fixed? And then what does Ole Miss just kind of have to live with this year? Um, they should probably block people. I'm not sure how much of that is fixed. I'm not sure. <laughs> how much of it is fixable? Fixable. Um, you would think it would have to be fixable to a degree because I don't think they'll run the same six guys exactly. I don't think they'll play. I think they'll play one more than six guys. And two, I think you'll see guys at different positions possibly. But they've got to fix that. I have no idea if that's fixable or not. I genuinely have no clue. Um, Right side didn't seem to be as bad as the left. None of it was particularly good. Um, teams are going to continue to target the left side of Ole Miss's offensive line. Wasn't particularly great up the middle either. So um, I have no idea if that's fixable, but they better try. You know, teams and coaches grade players. We don't usually get that information, but Pro Football Focus puts it out there for everybody to see and everybody to read. And the offensive line grades were not good for the opener against Memphis. Less than ideal, even. Um, Yeah, I mean, not to pile on, but I I saw those as well this morning, and you know, their left tackle had a six... six, On pass plays, Michael Howard graded out at a 16 on a 0-100 to scale. scale. That's tough. Yeah. So, something has to be done. Uh, Nick Broker's going to play. I think they're kind of in a holding pattern at this point to where, like, if Broker can hold up and be okay, then they'll probably like kind of move forward without major changes. But if he doesn't, then they're going to have to ditch the whole Bryce Matthews as the plug reserve guy, you know, to give you flexibility and let him play different spots. You're probably just going to have to stick him at left tackle because average is better than putrid. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think he would be serviceable at left tackle? Nick Broker? Broker or Bryce Matthews. I think it would be better than what I don't know about Broker because he's a true freshman. I think Matthews would be better than what what happened on what happened last Saturday. Do you think they stick with Eli Johnson at center? Ben Brown will eventually probably see some snaps at center. I would if I I'm just guessing here. Um, whether they stick with Eli Johnson long term there, I don't know. Um, I think they might try Ben Brown at center. Um, so, was there anything in particular that Mike McIntyre was not pleased with from the opener? On the defensive side, um, he didn't really get into any specifics. He said they were pretty good on most of their assignments, but not perfect, which tells me they were generally had the right tracking on the right idea, but maybe didn't do exactly what he wanted them to do on some things. But I mean, it was a far cry from the you know panned camera screen and no one being in the vicinity of whoever's holding the ball. Um, so I, I can only think of one play. Where Memphis had, well, I can think of two plays. Where Memphis had a guy just wide open. There was a busted coverage where 
um, Brady White overthrew the guy that was wide open headed into the end zone. I believe it was that, an easy touchdown. It was Jew. I don't want to actually say that without knowing it. And, and then the other play was one of those deals where they were moving everything to the right, and they had a guy that lined up on the right side and dragged all the way across the field and then kind of threw it back across to him, and he just kind of caught anybody, everybody, nobody home on the back side. But to go two plays out of 80 offensive plays with those kind of being the only two major busts, that's improvement. It was Hartsfield who had the busted coverage, at least it looked like at the time. Um yeah. Um, so other than that, I mean, I would think he'd have to be pretty pleased with it. Yeah. We got some news last night. Not related to college football, but related to college basketball. I don't know if the NCAA is bummed out today because they're not getting what they want, or if the NCAA internally is having a dance party in Indianapolis because they got exactly what they wanted. What are we talking about? Stay tuned. Tell you all about it. When we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Report from Dan Wetzel last night. Um... Interesting stuff. If you have been following the college basketball FBI corruption trials and scandal and waiting, just sitting around waiting for the NCAA to get all the information that it needs from the feds to support its investigations. Am I crazy, or is that what we were led to believe from the beginning was going to happen? That there would be cooperation between the Department of Justice and the NCAA, because all of this started, right, in the name of cleaning up college basketball. Isn't that how this began? That's what we were told. College basketball is dirty. Department of Justice is investigating. I'm real, real, real late to the party on any conspiracy theory related to this. There are those who have, from the very beginning, have said nothing was going to happen. I know for a fact that college basketball coaches did not believe that was the case. They thought stuff was going to happen and guys were really, really worried. Well, we get the report last night from Dan Wetzel. The Judge Lewis Kaplan has ruled in favor of federal prosecutors and has denied NCAA access to evidence from the Hoops Corruption Trial and the FBI investigation. Once upon a time, the government said that the entire point of the operation was to expose such things. Some coaches are obviously breathing easier tonight. Dan Wetzel pointed out that it was strange when the FBI and the Southern District of New York got involved in college hoops, but they were adamant that exposing corruption was worthy of years of work and millions of dollars spent. And then the federal government, federal prosecutors, fought in court to cover up the evidence. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say to cover up the evidence. 
to not allow the NCAA access to the evidence. Wetzel wrapped his report up last night by saying a few middle managers and assisted coaches, assistant coaches got busted. Sport churns on. I cannot help believe at this point that somebody in a position of power, whether it was at Nike or somewhere in college basketball with an axe to grind, gave the FBI enough information to allow them to pursue a case, and this whole stinking thing was a sham. What other explanation is there for the federal government not sharing the information they discovered with the NCAA so that the NCAA, who we don't trust anyway, can quote-unquote clean up college basketball. Well, I am shocked. I can't believe it. I can't believe that nothing is going to come of this. What kind of world are we leaving for our children? This is the least surprising thing ever. I mean, I'm I'm more surprised that you're surprised. Who? I'm not surprised. Exactly. No, I, how it's always I, I admitted, go. hey dad, that I was late to the party on the whole conspiracy theory thing and and the idea that nothing was going to happen. Yeah. Will Wade's going to keep coaching at LSU for as long as he wants. And that can, can we just say credit where it's due for 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 all of his shortcomings? Joe Oliva pretty much stood by Will Wade. Why well, suspend him? He only suspended him when he felt like he absolutely had to. But in hindsight, he didn't? In hindsight, maybe he didn't have to. I know hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say. Um, but yeah, he didn't have to suspend him. Will Wade was caught on a federal wiretap talking about offers to players. Offers of playing time. Yeah, sure. Strong offers. A very good degree from Louisiana State University. That was the offer. No, it was playing time. They said as much. That's what Will Wade claims it was. A lot of playing time. Yeah, well, regardless. Thousands of Rick Patino went down. Auburn assistant, a couple of other assistant coaches, some money managers. Coach K still rocking in Duke. Roy Williams still rocking at North Carolina. Will Wade rocking it out on the bayou. Sean Miller rocking hard in Tucson. And sweating. Life as it was continues. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm on this Wednesday afternoon. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. All guests appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. John Harris joins us right now. HoustonTexans.com. His website's Football Takeover. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at jharrisfootball. He's on the radio and on television and Pretty much everywhere else. I guess kind of like the mayor of Houston. What's up, Johnny? <laughs> What's going on? I think there would be plenty of people in Houston that would not want me to be mayor. The different things that I would uh, 
I would put it to motion in the city of Houston. Number one, I'd find a way to turn down the temperature every single day. I don't know how you do that, but uh, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's 98 degrees, uh, and it's September. That needs to change, but it's football season, so, you know, you give some to get some. You got to be curious. I, I got to pull up the weather app real quick. I think it's like 96 in North Mississippi. Oh, it's 92, so I don't feel that sorry for you. Um, anyway. Uh, it, but it just—I mean, okay. I'm not going to complain about the weather though, because I know people have been rocked with Hurricane Dorian. Yeah. Obviously, the Bahamas and in Florida, and you know, I know people in Mississippi have to deal with that as well. So, you know, we shouldn't <laughs> ever complain about the weather. I try not to, but you know, football—that's something we can complain about. But you know what? The start of a new football season. There's nothing to ever complain about. Yeah, and Houston gets to sit back and watch the Thursday night game and watch all the games on Sunday and then play on Monday night. Uh, game one of the doubleheader the, on uh, ESPN for the opening week with Monday night football. A lot of buildup for this game. Houston has made some moves, most notably with Laramie Tunsil, uh, just in the last few days. How ready can he be to play and play at a high level in the season opener? Well, I think that the Texans – Got lucky in some sense. First of all, I got lucky to get Laramie Tunsil. I just, I still, I'm shaking my head because, you know, we talked about this, Richard, when he was coming out. I just, I felt like he was the best player. And my Harris 100 in 2016, I had him as the number one player. I did three versions of it. I never moved him. I just felt like he is exactly what the NFL looks for in a left tackle. And the first year he played left guard because the Dolphins had Brandon Albert. And the last two years, he was one of the top five to seven left tackles in just his second and third year in the NFL. So we're, we're banking on upside, and I think it's definitely going to be there. I think he can be at a high level. And one of the things that helps, it's not the cure-all, but it helps, was that Shadow Shea has moved with Brian Flores down to Miami from the New England Patriots. Shadow Shea had been up there for uh, over 10 years. And he was immersed in that New England Patriots offense. So at least some of the verbiage is going to be the same for Laramie. And that's going to help him. Now, it's not perfect, but it's going to help him. And one of the good things about being in the building is you kind of see these things unfold. I was coming out of the studio uh, yesterday. And as I was coming out of the studio, I, I heard somebody behind me shut the door to the weight room. I turned around, and I just see this hulking figure. And I'm like, oh, there's Laramie. And I look ahead of me, and I see Mike Devlin, the offensive line coach. And they're kind of headed at one another. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm like, oh, I better know what they're doing. They're going to go sit in a room and kind of hammer this out. And Coach O'Brien talked about it a few hours later and said, Laramie, from the, the minute he got there, has been in Mike Devlin's ear, figuring out what he's got to learn so that he can play without having to think on Monday night. And that's going to be hard. But I think at left tackle, there are going to be some instances where they're going to say, Laramie, you got Marcus Davenport one-on-one. Just go do your thing. And that's going to – I mean, that's, to watch that compared to what we've had at left tackle the last few years, it's going to be so soothing. It's like all those years we didn't have a quarterback. I mean, anything Deshaun Watson did, we loved. And I think we'll feel that way about Laramie Tunsil. So I think it won't be 100% perfect. The Dome is going to create some issues – with the noise, and there'll be some false starts, and it's game one. But I think Larry Tunsil will settle in relatively quickly. And look, if it doesn't happen in week one and they struggle, 
They come back for week two. They've got more time to figure it out, and they better get it right because Jacksonville is next. And that means Josh Allen and Yannick Ngakwe and Clayus Campbell. But mm. I think by then, Jeremy's going to start feeling a lot more comfortable in what he can do. So I know it'll be tough, but I think because he had some of the offense already learned with Shadow Shade out of Miami, he's going to have some of that that he can draw on in his experience in week one against the Saints in the Superdome. John, especially when it comes to the NFL, I defer to people who know a whole lot more than me. You're one of those guys, and Deuce McAllister, who we talked to earlier this afternoon, is certainly one of those guys as well. And the things that he pointed to that he thought might be week one issues, and this was kind of taking it to a different level, he said handoffs on the offensive line, where you chip a guy and then you hand him off to another, and he pointed to communication issues because of the noise in the dome. Is that some of the same stuff that, that you're kind of thinking about if you take it maybe just a, a little bit deeper? No no doubt. And the the one thing to consider in that, uh, what Deuce is saying is, you know, and, and, and we'll probably, I would say, we'll probably run more zone blocking because of the way it fits our running back. I, I mean, look, with Lamar Miller, we were a big zone team. And when you work a zone running game, everybody's got to work together. And, and when does that guy that's on the, on the defensive lineman bump off to the linebacker? Like, those are things that you've got to learn after years of being together. And we're not talking about years. We're talking about days. So that's got to come together quickly. And to, to kind of put Deuce's thought in, in motion, you know, we played Dallas in the third preseason game. And we ran an outside zone to the right side. And two guys on the left side that had been working together for a couple of years they blew it. Jack Fulton went to the linebacker before our tackle could get over on Malik Collins. And Malik Collins kind of lost his bounce a little bit and then hit Lamar Miller and that tore his ACL. And obviously it wasn't Malik Collins' fault, but missing that block was the reason that Collins is there to make that play on Lamar Miller. And those are guys that worked together in the zone game all year last year. <laughs> so, yes, there is definitely some of that. No, no doubt about it. So they're going to have to over-communicate. And I would think that the answer to that is, look, if you're in doubt, stay on the down guy. Stay on the down lineman and just keep it as a double team. At worst case, don't let that guy, oh, I got the linebacker. Well, no, I got the linebacker. Make sure you just stay on the down guy and make sure he's taken, taken care of. I think that can be – something that they can either adjust to as the game goes on, like, hey, you get a good feel for this? Yeah, yeah. When this happens, do this. It'll be the first time they're working together in full pads when they take the field. So, yeah, it's going to be tough. But Deuce is absolutely right. And in its own running game in particular, like ours will be, that is a huge, huge factor, and it's got to work all together. That will come with the guys they have. But you're also talking about a rookie at left guard and Laramie Tunsil. Two guys that, I mean, one was in college last year and the other was in Miami. Yeah. So yeah. that'll be tough. But the biggest thing is the down guys take care of them. And if you do that, then I think you'll be okay can adjust later. John Heron, uh, Harris from the uh, Houston Texans Radio Network uh, on your radio right now. So Jared Goff gets the extension. Dak's got a big deal coming. The Texans have not had to go down that road yet with Deshaun Watson. So Carson Wentz resets the market. Jared Goff resets the market. Dak's probably going to reset the market. When it comes time to do a deal with Deshaun Watson, 
Is he going to be in a position where he's going to do the exact same thing, where he is going to reset the market at quarterback? I don't think there's any question. And the only question that there is is whether Mahomes does it first. So that that's, that's kind of life in the NFL. I remember when Dwight Freeney signed a huge deal with the Colts. Hey, let me like, interrupt you just for a second, John. Would, would it be advantageous for the Texans to get a deal with Deshaun maybe earlier than they would like to? so that they don't have to compete with the deal that Mahomes is ultimately going to sign? I think in theory that would probably be the case. But okay. I think you're I think you're right about that. If, if, they, if they could get it done, I think they'd want to. But, again, uh, it's, it, this, it's tricky. It is really tricky when you have a quarterback deal that you have to get done. And the thing is, the Texans have – we haven't had a lot of experience doing deals with quarterbacks that have been any good. So, yeah, it's going to be a pretty, a pretty big chunk of change that's going to come to Deshaun. And, I, and, as, and look, I love Deshaun, but Deshaun needs to get every dime that he can. So my guess is that they'll sort of wait for each other. They'll kind of play the waiting game, I think, with each other. But I think it probably is worth it to get the discussion started early, early enough. And that probably early enough is probably right after this season and, and see if maybe there isn't something there. But I would imagine that that the two of them in particular are watching each other like, hey, you're going to get a Watson deal? You're going to get a home deal? What what are you going to get? But they're both going to reset the market when they sign their deals. There's no no question. That's just the way the league works. You know, hey, this guy's the the biggest paid offensive guy ever in the history of the NFL. And then a week later, it's Jared Goff. And then a week later, it's Aaron Rodgers. And then a week later, it's Mahomes. That's just the way it is. And, and it'll happen for Mahomes and Watson. <laughs> that deal, that'll be truly NBA player money. The difference is it only happens for quarterbacks in the NFL. It happens for everybody in the NBA. You are the best, John. Look forward to seeing you on Monday in New Orleans. That is John Harris from the Houston Texans on the Farm Bureau phone. What to say about John Harris? We talk with him, and it's just a football sandwich. I mean, it's take a breath. Hopefully he doesn't talk straight into the break, but a lot of good info. A lot of Laramie Tunsil talk there, and kind of some interesting stuff on uh, the way the market gets reset and uh, what quarterbacks are going to get paid. They've got one that is going to get paid, but it'll be a little bit of a, uh, a cat-and-mouse game on when Patrick Mahomes gets his deal and when Deshaun Watson gets his deal, and they both kind of want the other to uh, to go first. Because then, um, you uh, you know you're kind of playing off both sides of it. You'd like to build your case for a big contract on what the other guy got. I just don't know if um, I don't know if Deshaun Watson can argue for what Patrick Mahomes gets. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense, and he shouldn't be able to, and the Texans shouldn't give it to him. But that said, there's time between now and then. If Deshaun, Deshaun Watson takes that team to the ASC championship game or, or something, or even gets to a Super Bowl before Mahomes gets there, he'll have a he'll have a stronger case. Yeah. No, that that absolutely makes sense. But you gotta see continued development. Right. And I guess the other thing you've got to see is if Patrick Mahomes continues to play the way he did last year. I mean, there's no reason to believe that he's not going to. 
that was a pretty remarkable season. Can he continue to perform at that level? Can he get the Chiefs to the Super Bowl? Is being that kind of quarterback in the regular season good enough to get you paid like that? Some would say yes. Because you got to do it. And again, it feels like different team, but we keep going back to the same conversation, right? An elite franchise starting quarterback that gives you a chance to get to that level, that Super Bowl level, is so hard to come by, or at least we're told it's so hard to come by, that if you think you've got one that even gives you a chance, you got to keep him, which means you got to pay him. Because if you let one get away, that kind of remains to be seen with Philadelphia, right? They love Carson Wentz, but Foles is the one that took them on that deep run because of the injury. Yeah, and Wentz can't stay healthy. And on the Mahomes front, by the way, talking about whether or not he can sustain it, let's pretend last year he throws, or for this year, he throws two, 10 fewer touchdowns than he did a year ago and 500 fewer yards than he did a year ago. He would still lead the league in both categories. <laughs> wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. Ten fewer touchdowns and 500 fewer yards. Would still lead the league in both. And the guy that else performs the same, or would have still led the would league have led in both the league. categories last year. Yeah, and the guy in second, Andrew Luck. Hmm. It's pretty remarkable. It's I mean, he can regress and still be the best quarterback in the league statistically. Does it punch a hole in the idea of system quarterbacks? Because that's out of Cliff Kingsbury's offense, right? It's where he came from. And Baker Mayfield was a system quarterback. He was. Cliff Kingsbury's offense... And then Lincoln Riley's offense. What if it's just about whether or not you can make the throws or not? If you look at NFL quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield's kind of an exception to the rule. How many NFL quarterbacks were elite college football players? National championship winning college quarterbacks? Deshaun Watson. Wilson was on good teams but didn't win anything of value. Roethlisberger played at Miami of Ohio. Patrick Mahomes didn't have winning seasons in college. Andrew Luck had good Stanford teams, didn't win anything of value. Matt Ryan didn't win anything of value at Boston College. Drew Brees didn't win anything well, of value. So, Borky, wouldn't this be going, though, back to what Baker Mayfield said about Daniel Jones when he was quote-unquote misquoted? Even if you look, I mean, there aren't that many guys that can win a national championship because there aren't that many teams that can win a national championship. But let's just look at college quarterbacks or NFL quarterbacks that in college won at a high level. You know, we're on nine, 10 win teams every year. You got a few more of those, but it's not exclusive. Most of them were kind of nobodies, which is what Daniel Jones was. Tom Brady was a nobody in college. Patrick Mahomes, although talented, was a nobody in college. Josh Aaron, Allen. Josh Allen, nobody. Andrew Ro- Andrew Rogers. Uh Aaron Rodgers. He didn't he didn't win anything in college. He had to sit a few years behind uh, Brett Favre before he even got playing time. Philip Rivers was okay, but he was just okay. 
Jared Goff was okay, but he was just okay. And none of them played at these football factories either. There's something to be said about being on bad teams in college and success in the NFL almost, as weird as that sounds. Well, will Tua and Trevor be the, the, the first quarterbacks we've had in a while that played for they – were, they were highly recruited, you know, top two, three quarterbacks out of high school, top quarterbacks for national championship teams in college, and then first, round, first pick overall? I mean, who else fits that bill? I mean, half the league in general is undrafted. Yeah, but I'm just, yeah, like, just, not just for quarterbacks. quarterbacks you know? Deshaun Watson was a five-star quarterback. Yeah, Deshaun Watson so he's would the be a good one. Uh, he didn't play for championships in college, but Eli Manning was very highly recruited and then was a, a Heisman finalist. Tom Brady does not fit that bill. Drew Brees was recruited. I mean, he had lots of options in college. But, but he's from Texas and went to Purdue for a reason. That's right. And that was a long time ago. Um, I mean, Derek Carr played at Fresno State. Yeah. Kirk Cousins was just okay at Michigan State. Uh, I'm just kind of looking through the uh, the quarterback list. Well, when keep you go it across. local. Dak Prescott was not highly recruited. He didn't get an offer from his in-state school. They wanted him to play a different not position. Not play quarterback. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Jared Goff went to Cal. Jameis Winston, even though he's going to lose his job here in the very near future, was highly recruited and won a national Cam, title Cam and a Heisman. Newton. I mean, Cam Newton, he just had a little bit of a circuitous path to his year at Auburn. Like throwing a stolen laptop out of a dorm room window? That's a, circu- a circuitous path, Morky. <laughs> Trying to see what he was. Brian I mean, yeah, Keenum... He was a five-star, number, the number two dual-threat quarterback coming yeah. out of high school. So Even though he's not yeah. a starter anymore, Ryan Tannehill played wide receiver in college. Until what, his last year? Yeah. Played one year of quarterback in the SEC, well, in the Big 12 at the time. Um, Stafford, that's another one. Played at a big school. Stafford. Didn't win anything major, right? But, you know, he played at Georgia. Louisville won pretty big with Lamar Jackson. I know they didn't win a national championship, but they were playing at a high level, and he won a Heisman. Yep. Um, Case Keenum left Houston at the time as the all-time leading passer, but he was at Houston. I think he still is, too, by the way. Nobody's broken that record yet. Okay. Um... A.J. McCarron at Alabama, but he hasn't been a starter in the NFL, not consistently. Colt McCoy has had stints as a starter in the NFL. Unsuccessful. And, and then you look around and you say, hey, Nick Mullins, who played at Southern Miss, has gotten a chance, and when he's gotten a chance, he's been pretty good. I wonder yeah. if Philip Rivers was a good college quarterback, but they didn't win anything of significance at NC State while he was there. And he wasn't super highly recruited, I don't think. I wonder if, and there's a lot of quarterbacks that play at these kind of schools that aren't successful, but I wonder if you're more prepared for the NFL not playing at Alabama. With Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson recently being the exception, but playing somewhere where the teammates around you and your offensive line, and maybe even in some cases your coaching, isn't that good. To where you have to elevate your game. You have to throw into tighter windows because your receivers uh, aren't getting separation. Things like that. You have to think well, quicker because your offensive line isn't very good, and that's that, really that's getting you right ready there. for the NFL. I think that's the one right there, Borky, that 
if you're out, if you're Tua or whoever these quarterbacks are, and you're just used to having so much time in the pocket, and then you get drafted by a bad team, and you take the snap, and here, oh God, there's the defense. I'm not used to that. That's, I mean, it, it's probably not a huge thing, but it's it's something. Uh, Mississippi State has released this with temperatures expected to be in the mid 90s. Some measures are being put in place to help ensure your safety if you are at the game on Saturday. You can bring into the game one clear, colorless, full, or empty water bottle that is per person. There will be free water bottle refill stations located throughout the stadium, and concession prices are lowered this year. Air-conditioned buses and rest stations will be set up outside Gate B and Gate L, and there will be first aid stations throughout the stadium. Hydrate early and hydrate often. If you're going to the game, start doing that on Friday morning. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Strapping up the previous conversation, one quarterback that was a lead in college and did play for a national championship but just hasn't really worked out because he hasn't stayed healthy in the NFL is Marcus Mariota. It's funny how it's like, oh, wait, he's still a quarterback in the NFL. Was he a, a highly recruited guy in high school? Yes. Okay. Yes, he was. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Stephen Godfrey from Banner Society joins us right now. What's up, man? There are a lot of people in Nashville trying to figure out if Marcus Mariota is going to be a viable NFL quarterback. Is he? I don't know. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I, he's one of uh, he's one of the most interesting kids I've ever seen play the position. He's one of the nicest human beings I've encountered in terms of interview subjects. Um, I, I don't know if physically he's going to hold up and, and have a successful NFL career. I just he, he's not a large person when you talk about like durability and size and bulk. And I think it's I think it's going to catch up with him. Yeah. Last wire-to-wire Heisman Trophy winner. Preseason favorite and actually won it and hasn't happened uh, since he did that a few years ago. And honestly, you know, it's funny. is like he's never been the same since, and nor have anyone, nor has anyone on that tree of the Chip Kelly, you know, Helfrich, that, that blur era um, has never really been the same since he was running that system. Did we see the dawn, using this as a jumping-off point, did we see the dawn of a new era of Auburn football on Saturday with the birth of Bo Nix, and is Oregon done for the year, or is that the last time they're going to lose? Uh, I think we saw the birth of two new eras, I'll be honest with you. The funny thing about Bo Nix was those weren't pretty passes. They weren't fantastic. You know, the touchdown pass is actually underthrown, which is why the receiver is able to come back, get it, and then kind of, and then use his momentum to get in the end zone. You're not uh, giving him credit for underthrown, intentionally back shoulder fade type <laughs> throw? <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. Um, <laughs> a, couple, a couple of those passes were a little wonky. I watched the replay. I was at the Georgia game. Um, I think we saw um, the next iteration of Auburn football. I think he's going to be put in situations where he's going to make mistakes. I mean, we just look at the level of defense that he has in front of him left on the schedule. Um, that's going to happen. So, I mean, there, there are five or six incredibly good top 15, top 20 defenses he's yet to face. Uh, I was a little bit more interested in Oregon from the standpoint that they did what I thought they would, which is come out and actually try and redefine themselves on a national stage by imposing themselves at the line of scrimmage, being more physical, 
I, I think that was the last gasp of the blur concept and the hurry up concept because I mean they're essentially running kind of power, kind of pistol. Um, they can go quick when you want them to, but that Mario Cristobal influence is really, really strong. He's recruiting like an SEC coach. I think they're trying to do talent development on the lines like an SEC coach. And I do think that they could be back in, in the conversation if they run the table from here on out. Did Saturday mark the beginning of the end, which is crazy to say when you're talking about game 13 for Jeremy Pruitt? Was this Houston, not Jacksonville State? Uh, hmm. The difference between those two situations is only that um, it's later. it was later in the run for Houston than it is for Jeremy Pruitt. And also... So many, it felt like so many options were exhausted up in Knoxville during the last run. And, and obviously, you're going to complicate matters when you fire your athletic director in the middle of the search. And so much of the process of your search becomes public and essentially becomes like an open forum, which is what happened with the Greg Schiano debacle. And I bring all of that up only to say that we're really, really young into the Jeremy Pruitt era. And I don't know what you would do if you were Tennessee if you can to master this year. Now, I'm not saying they won't or wouldn't. It's a substantial buyout. I think it's at 16, maybe, 17, um, if you were to do it this year. I'm just really curious what that market looks like. Um, how badly does Phil Fulmer want to coach football this season? <laughs> it's amazing that you brought that up, Richard, because I'm going to have some content about that in the next, like, 48 hours over at Banner Society. Um do I think personally, in my educated opinion, this is not me with the reporter hat on, this is my educated opinion based on things I know in the industry, do I think that Phil Fulmer pines for some sort of Wisconsin Barry Alvarez situation? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. How excited should we be for Saturday night in Austin? I think you'd be really excited. Um, it's I was shocked that LSU actually opened the book as wide as they did uh, against Georgia Southern. I think they did that because they kind of had to. You, you know, you're either you're either all the way in or all the way out when it comes to installing a new offense. Uh, I talked to two coaches on Sunday that watched that game and said that they could identify formations um, specific to the Saints passing offense, which shouldn't be shocking. Joe Brady comes over. Um, I think that's what you're going to get this year. It I. I kind of had a chuckle. A lot of people had a chuckle because LSU, like on all their official, you know, social media accounts and whatever, they were talking about how <laughs> Joe Burrow tied a school record with five touchdowns in a game, which is a school record. That makes me laugh. And then also that I, I, they were really bragging about, like, I don't know, it was 16, 17 kids touch the ball as receivers, which also made me laugh because, you know, you go to a Big 12 school and that's a slow day. So. So much of what they're doing has been done for the past 15 or 20 years to the point of ubiquity in college football. The difference is this, and here's why you should be excited. LSU has a level of a level of athleticism that you really can only find in about five or six other places in the entire sport. If you if you were to apply that level of, of athleticism, again with the tongue twister, uh, to that level of, of personnel and guys that you recruit, it's really interesting to see. They're like, in other words, what I'm trying to say is they're going to play big and powerful and strong on the lines. They're also going to do a lot of motions, a lot of spread, a lot of empty, and you don't really get to see that happen often. Really, never. I mean, this is as exciting as it was when Lane Kiffin became the OC at Alabama because you saw some of the country's best left tackles 
uh, protecting and moving in space in a different way. You saw some of the best athletes in the country running out of a spread formation. I think that's what you're going to see at LSU this year. And against Texas, it's kind of a perfect metric to figure out whether or not this thing's going to work through conference play. On the other side, I I, I love Texas's quarterback, uh, Sam Ellinger, and I think that, you know, Tom Herman is a sneaky big game coach. Most of that was done where they they would win underdog games when he was at Houston, but he's starting to build that rep already at Texas. So I I have no feel for an outcome. I think it's going to be like a three- or four-point game either way. Certainly going to be a great scene from Austin. I'm curious. Go figure that we might be putting Ed Ogeron at the cutting edge of hiring decisions. But if this works well, Joe Mm -hmm. Brady, passing game coordinator from the Saints, coming in to be kind of a de facto co-offensive coordinator alongside Steve Insminger. And given the amount of money that is being paid to assistant coaches in college football, could we see this turn into a copycat scenario where we have other head coaches at the college level bringing in NFL assistants to be coordinators or co-coordinators? Yeah, I mean, the, the wall's coming down. I feel like you and I may have touched on this in one of the segments in the offseason, but I definitely think the wall's coming down because of, I mean, look, Cliff Kingsbury was, sort of politely run out of Lubbock, and then he ended up the head coach of an NFL team a couple of weeks later. That's, that's yeah. so bizarre. We haven't really dedicated enough time to respect how strange that is. Um, this is, of course, because of what happened with Sean McVay and the Rams and the formations that we're seeing now at the pro level. And I personally think you go back and look at the development of Jared Goff when he was drafted however many years ago. That was now four, three. Yeah, he's starting year four. To, okay. So he was considered to be another air raid product and a guy who may not be able to to fully develop in an NFL system. And what the Rams did was design his system for the NFL, essentially. They bridged the gap. And in doing so, I think you're seeing more offensive philosophies being shared at the pro and collegiate level amongst each other than you really ever have been. Because for a long time, there was this bias against a lot of the collegiate systems and structures and formations at the pro level because of the yeah system quarterback was like a bad word when you were talking about drafting a quarterback. No, I I remember talking to Sonny Dykes, his coach at Cal, when he came out, and you know Sonny was doing everything he could to stump for him, like it was a political speech because this kid was the number one overall quarterback, number one overall pick, and was considered to be some sort of like product of a gimmick. It was a very strange time, and I mean that. That mentality still exists to some degree, but now you have Baker Mayfield. I mean, for that matter, I think now you have like Lamar Jackson, right? There, of course, the entire the entire Lamar Jackson draft cycle was about him becoming a wide receiver. Yeah. So, I, I think all that's come down, and in the process, NFL and college are sharing well, Mahomes with one another. Patrick Mahomes is the other example. I mean, Patrick Mahomes going as far as he did in the playoffs, and also the re- I mean, the rep on him being such a a presence in the huddle. I think that just it all kind of came down at the same time, Richard, because people were convinced that Cam Newton wouldn't work because he was somehow too arrogant or too dumb or didn't understand the complexities in the, of an NFL system. And, and that was 10 years ago. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's taken a little while, but it, I think you're, you're phrasing there, the wall is coming down, maybe in both directions, from the uh, college to the NFL and NFL to college. Fascinating stuff. Uh, check uh, Banner Society out. A lot of good content. You can sign up for uh, an email where you get um, uh, an email with the uh, stories that are out every single day. And you can uh, check Stephen Godfrey out on uh, the podcast Ain't Played Nobody.
think I got all that right. That was good excellent. talking to you, bud. We have uh, exclusive content on that newsletter. Sign up today. Love you. See you next week. Stephen Godfrey from Banner Society on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. I thought that was an interesting way that Stephen Godfrey talked about what's happening between the NFL and college. And not that we were looking for validation one way or another, but just another opinion that kind of goes along with what we were talking about earlier in the show today, that the, I don't know if it's fair to call it archaic yet, but the old idea that a system quarterback in college, a a guy that comes from a pro-style system, or an air raid system, or a run-and-shoot system, or a fill-in-the-blank system is automatically qualified or disqualified from being a quarterback in the NFL, that's now an old idea. And the passing of concepts back and forth, college to the NFL and NFL to college, is becoming more and more common. And the way Godfrey described it, if you're just joining us, we were talking about it just a few moments ago, and then earlier in the show today as well, he said he thinks the wall's coming down. Have you guys thought about it prior to the last couple of hours where we've specifically been talking about this in those terms? The term, the wall's coming down, I haven't really thought about it like that, but it's obvious that the the NFL is taking more and more from the college game each year. Going back almost a decade now, the first time the Dolphins ran Ronnie Brown out there in the Wildcat formation. Yeah, uh, you know they, they they all they're always looking to innovate, and they're taking stuff from the college game to make young players, especially more successful, is just smart business. You know, if you've got a quarterback who's got a lot of talent, but he's not picking up all the nuances of the pro passing game, then taking some stuff from a college playbook. Just to give him some opportunities, that's just smart. And 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 hey, Dad, you know if you if you actually take this a step farther, as opposed to the trickle down idea, we've got a trickle up thing that's happening, and it's not just college to the NFL; it's high school to college, and then ultimately college to the NFL because <laughs> more high schools across the country, in Texas, in Florida, in Mississippi. And Mississippi's kind of a late adopter here because you still look up and you see teams that run the wing tee or run strictly option-based offenses. But the spread concepts that are so prevalent in high school have become prevalent in college because this is what these guys learned at the high school level. It's a whole lot easier to plug them in and play them early and allow them to have success if they're doing a lot of the same things they did at the high school level, just slightly more advanced, and then the same thing if you've got more college teams that are playing spread offenses, and whether it's run-based spreads or passing-based spreads, whatever, those guys, if they go to the NFL and they're in offenses that, even though they're more complex, are similar to what they ran versus you take a, a spread passing or spread option quarterback who's really athletic and try to plug him into a pro-style offense in the NFL and you've got a significant learning curve, you're just kind of doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. You've got three quarterbacks in the state in high school this year that are going to be big-time passers at the next level. It's not just 
they plugged in the best athlete and, and let him back there to you know run wild. Sort of like what Clinton did with Cam Akers, which won a state championship. It was a smart move, don't get me wrong. But sure. Cam Akers, everybody knew he wasn't going to be a quarterback at the next level. But Will Rogers at Brandon, Luke Altmyer at Starkville, and uh, Ty Keyes down at Taylorsville, those are three kids that are going to be quarterbacks at the next level, and they're playing in passing offenses in high school. And I forgive me. Maybe we got to go to Friday to get this. The quarterback at Madison Central is unbelievably athletic. Yeah, now, I don't Holiday, know if he. Yeah, yeah I'm, Drew Holiday is that right? Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Holiday. I'm sorry. Drew Holiday I, plays for the Pelicans. Yeah, 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 yeah. My bad. I don't know if Jimmy Holiday is a quarterback at the next level, or if he's so athletic that he's another position guy. But it's a good point. Isn't it how many how many legitimate pro style offenses are there in college right now? Stanford, Stanford. Um, Who else? Would Michigan count as one? Not anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with Gaddis. I mean, up they, there, they've kind of gotten away from that this year. Yeah. I mean, Duke's not David Cutcliffe's not running a pro style. That he no. might have been the prototypical quarterback coach for pro style offenses and pro-style quarterbacks making the transition to the NFL. Obviously, most famously with Peyton and with Eli. But even with some of his early quarterbacks at Duke, but he's evolved because the college game's evolved. And he had to evolve to be able to win at Duke. NFL's changing as well. Uh, Every year, there is a decrease in snaps taken from under center. I know that's, that's slower, it's a little bit different, but they are running more stuff out of the gun. Lamar Jackson's going to be the most interesting case study in all of this with how the Ravens use him and his skill set, even though he's not a, not a bad passer, but he's not even anywhere close to being an average NFL passing quarterback. So if he works, you might see a huge shift in what offenses do in the league. There's always going to be a place... For Andrew Luck. Right? I mean, a (laughs) prototypical all-time NFL-type quarterback. I'm not sure how exactly you classify Trevor Lawrence right now. I think he could play in either system. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Start at the 5 o'clock hour with you on this Wednesday afternoon on Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along wherever you're listening, however you're listening. Thanks for joining us. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi, you've got equipment needs, you need to get your production loans taken care of for the upcoming year. Um, He's probably got to get through harvest first, but you'll be thinking about that in no time. Uh, Maybe you're buying a new piece of property that will enlarge the size of the farm for the coming year. Or um, maybe you need to refinance an existing loan. Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. That's why they tell you that at Mississippi Land Bank, they know the lay of the land. C Spire text line is open to you. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. In the uh, cleaning up the errors segment, I uh, got a text earlier that said, 24-7 shows that Marcus Mariota had an 86 ranking coming out of high school with two offers, one to Memphis, one to Oregon. He was not highly recruited. I stand corrected on that front. Thank you for the correction as well. Uh, you want to be a part of the show? Text us on that C Spire text line, 
or uh, shoot us a message on Twitter at Sports Talk M I S S. Time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out all about that Ford has to offer. I told you that the hurry up and save sales event was coming to an end. Well, it has ended, but there is a new promotion. If you are in the market for a Ford F-150, a 2019 model, the XLT version, there's a special upgrade going on for you right now. For no additional charge, you can take that XLT and have them put leather seats in and also put a bed liner in, either the drop-in plastic bed liner or the spray-in bed liner at no additional charge. So a great deal going for you. Save you a couple of grand on the uh, purchase of uh, an F-150 2019 XLT model. It's a great truck, best-selling truck on the road for 42 consecutive years. Um, we did this a little bit yesterday. We can take a, a slightly deeper look, I suppose, at the uh, the opening lines for uh, this week uh, as we look around college football. Uh, West Virginia is getting two touchdowns, getting 14 points at Missouri. South Carolina is a 40-point favorite at home against Charleston Southern. We'll do picks on Friday. Guys, give me a lean, though, as we go through these. A Wednesday lean. Missouri minus 14. I would, I would the take the Mountain West Virginia. I would take the Mountaineers and take the points. Would you? Yeah. Missouri. Bounce back uh, week coming for the Tigers. Y- the two touchdowns bounce way back? Yeah. West Virginia did get the win over James Madison. South Carolina trying to bounce back from the. Um, say what? Shout out to Kelso. Indeed. Who uh, has already flown in Dorian and is uh, going back for another round tomorrow? Get flies in hurricane planes. Onboard meteorologist, our buddy Kelso from the coast. South Carolina trying to bounce back from the loss to North Carolina. They are a forty-point favorite at home against Charleston Southern. Helinski getting the uh, start at quarterback for the Gamecocks. Purdue is a seven and a half point favorite at home against Vanderbilt. Vandy. Really? Yeah. Purdue had the uh, they had the heartbreaking loss to uh, Nevada, right? They did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fifty-six pre- yard field goal from a true freshman walk-on kicker, and then earned the scholarship in the locker room post game. Did you see that? Well deserved. Coach says, "Give me the game ball." You win the game. Tosses it to the kicker and says. You also are on full scholarship. Locker room goes crazy. That was awesome. I like it. I like it. State's a 17-point favorite at home against Southern Miss. Clemson is a 17-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Texas A&M. Boy, I lean hard at this point for the Aggies. You guys think I'm crazy there? No, I've been thinking about this one a lot over the last couple of days. And thinking of upset, a lot of home favorites in the SEC this weekend, big home favorites, especially considering how bad it looked last week, maybe a bounce-back week, but also could be something brewing on the horizon. That's a game I'm looking at hard. Because even though it was Georgia Tech, and even though it was one game, 
and Travis Etienne ran for approximately 1,500 yards in that game, Clemson was not all that impressive. And that's the only game we have to go by, so could get funky. <clears throat> Lawrence will be better this week. Are you going to cough up a lung today? Maybe. You're struggling, aren't you, Hey, Dad? No, I'm actually not that bad. This is this is nothing compared to some of my past uh, sicknesses. We gotta get you a cough button. Sounds like you're dying. Studio. Well, technically, we're all dying. Sounds like you're dying more rapidly than I. Well, you, and you sounded that, like you were dying yesterday. That that Red Bull could be eating away at your system as we speak. Yeah, but it's not producing those noises. <laughs> it's a silent killer. Bama's a 54.5-point favorite at home against New Mexico State. It's a bunch of points. Georgia is a 7-touchdown favorite at home against Murray State. And I don't know what to do with this Tennessee-BYU line. Tennessee's a 3.5-point favorite. I mean, there's a big part of me that goes, yeah, Tennessee's got to be better than they were last week. Do they? Well, it, it, do they have do to they be? is a reasonable question, hey, yeah. Dad, because they yeah. got whipped up front by Georgia State. I, I wouldn't touch that game. I, I, it, it, it could go very, very badly. I like that Ole little Mrs. quarterback from BYU, but this is his first road start as a true freshman. I wonder how many people will be at that game. 100,000-seat stadium, do you think it's 60% full, 60,000 people. Yeah, I'd say 65 to 70. That's still 30,000 empty seats. Yeah. That's incredible. Ole Miss, a seven-point favorite at home against Arkansas. Tricky line on the Plains. Auburn, an 18-point favorite over Tulane. They'll probably cover that. Yeah, that one's kind of funny, too. I mean, couldn't you see an emotional come down after that Exciting big win over uh, over Oregon last week, and it's Tulane. It's hard to get up, and they looked really good last week. The Green Wave did against FIU. Against FIU, a couple Which extra day days to prepare, say? right? Does but no, he's at um, yes, he's at FIU. Ah, okay, um, Panthers. Willie Fritz, Will Hall, <laughs> the Green Wave. Florida's a 41-point favorite against UT Martin. Of the big numbers, that's probably the one I like the most. You know which one I like the least? We just sort of glossed over it. But South Carolina, true freshman quarterback coming off of a loss. I mean, are, we, are we sure they're going to score 40 points? Charleston Southern got whooped by Furman last Saturday. Charleston Southern bad. I'm just saying. Weren't they the team that uh, used the money from playing Ole Miss to buy lights for their stadium? Yeah, that was yeah, Presbyterian. That was, uh, Presbyterian. Yeah. Oh, the Blue Host. Charleston, Charleston Southern played Dan Mullen back-to-back years because they opened with State in 17 and Florida in 18. Hmm. Wait. The Blue what? The Blue Hose. What is that? Hose. The Scottish the mascot for Presbyterian. No, no, I, I get that. What is it? It's a Scottish it's like a, warrior. It's like a Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> Kentucky, a 14-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Eastern Michigan. I like Kentucky. Yeah. LSU, Texas. Bayou Bengals, five-and-a-half. That's a lot. Does LSU win by a touchdown? 
Hopefully they win by a touchdown, a field goal, and a safety. <laughs> what happens on a push? Just uh, you guys get to uh, sing Kumbaya? Uh, we'll buy each other a Subway sandwich. I'd just go sing Kumbaya instead. Who, right. t- who took 10-point road favorite in this game? I did. What were you on? I was Dude, speaking was like kind in, of hyperbolically. It, it was back, uh, what, 10 weeks ago or so, and I said LSU right now would beat Texas by 10 points, and Haydad said, you okay. All, it was your bet, and then Haydad stole it away. No, 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 no. No, no it was Mod your bet, extend- Richard. Oh, that's right. Yeah, mine wouldn't have extended past Joe Burrow being the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, so <laughs> I can't take anyone but LSU in this, even if I want to. He looked like a Heisman contender on Saturday. Yeah, he did. I hope Pete, his mantle's clear. If um, if Joe Burrow throws for five touchdowns against Texas in Austin on Saturday night, is he the leading Heisman contender after two weeks? Yes. Say it out loud, hey, Dad. Yes. Assuming Jalen Hurts doesn't go and account for six more touchdowns in week two. Correct. That is correct, correct, correct. Well, Bo Nix can throw for another buck seventy, and everybody will love him. Let's, um, what was he, 13 of 30? <laughs> Something like let's, that. Let's uh, take a little closer look at Arkansas and Southern Miss when we come back. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Let's dive in. Hit on some uh, hard-hitting questions about Arkansas for Rippy and about Southern Miss for Brian Haydad. Question number one. Will Arkansas play both of its quarterbacks on Saturday against Ole Miss? Ben Hicks, we know, will be the starter. Nick Starkle came in and played against Portland State, had a bad interception in the game. You think uh, the Hogs play QB1 and QB2? Yes. Would you like to give me any deeper thoughts on that? Um, Yeah, listen to the Rebel Report podcast where we discussed this in link today. Um, Anyway... Um, you can get that wherever you get your podcasts, and you are sure to get an uncensored and even bigger smart aleck grippy than you get on the radio five days a week from 3 to 6 on Super Talk Mississippi. Less censored. I don't know about more. Um, But, yeah, I think so. Starkle Did I say was, more censored? Yeah. No, less censored. L- less censored, more sarcastic? I don't know about the second part. Fair enough. Um, yeah, Starkle was 4 or 5 when he threw a pick on... um. Against Portland State last weekend, it was interesting listening to Kelly Stacy from the Athletic, who we had on the podcast, talk about it. And Hicks was pulled at a time that where it seemed like maybe it was somewhat performance based because he wasn't playing particularly well. But um, Chad Morris went with it was all part of the plan the whole time. We wanted to get him some game reps, Starkle. That is, um, it had nothing to do with anything. So read whatever you want into that. He was four or five, and then threw an interception. Um, so I imagine you'll see both of them in some capacity. I would think Starkville, Starkville offers more upside, but Morris is probably more comfortable with Ben Hicks, who he had for two years at SMU. Um, so I, I do think you'll see both quarterbacks. I don't know in what capacity. That was a far better answer than yes. You said, do you think both will play? Levi Lewis had success through the air against Mississippi <laughs> State on Saturday in the Dome. Hey, Dad, is Jack Abraham similar to Levi Lewis? Better? Worse? Et cetera? What do you think? Well, I don't think he's similar at all. Uh, but but can he be better? I mean, he might be a better passing quarterback, but he is certainly not the running threat 
the elusive quarterback that Levi Lewis was. You know, he's much more of a an in the pocket kind of guy. So uh, from from an MSU perspective, that's a good thing because you don't have to worry so much about the quarterback run option with with, with Abraham. But he certainly he did have a 15 yard touchdown run on Saturday. Well, I mean that's great, but if we go out there and put him in a 40 yard dash, I'm pretty sure Levi Lewis is going to win. Rippy. Despite the struggles with Portland State, Rakeem Boyd was pretty good. Devois Whaley, not terrible. What does Ole Miss have to do to slow down the Arkansas running game? Uh, tackle better in space. Or not tackle better in space. Tackle as good in space as they did last week, particularly when it comes to Whaley. With Boyd, you need the interior inside linebacker's defensive line to be pretty good because he's more of a bruising style back. Fair enough. Hey, now, what kind of chance do you give Southern Miss on Saturday afternoon? It's sort of in Mississippi State's hands if Southern Miss is going to win. State would have to turn the ball over, commit a lot of penalties, make mistakes, keep Southern around. Uh, If State plays its best game, they'll win and win easily. Mm, Confidence. What, um, What role does the Heat play on Saturday? Expecting temps in the mid to upper 90s. Heat indices well into the triple digits. It's going to be humid. You can bring a water bottle in as long as it's clear and has clear liquid inside of it. Refill stations for fans available. Public service there. Yeah. The question well, is, what role does the Heat play? It has me hoping that there's an official Super Talk branded tank top that I can wear to this game because it's going to be freaking hot. Uh, you you are on an island of one in hoping that there is a Super Talk branded tank top for, for you to game. wear to a football game. Just for this game, I mean, it's, it's going to be miserable up there. Um, I think it, it it has to favor State. You would think you would think State would have a little bit more depth than, than USM does, especially when you talk about you know USM wanting to run the football and the injury concerns they have there. They can't shuttle guys in and out as much as as you might want to. Um, so if anything, it's advantage MSU, even though they'll be playing in the darker jerseys. Uh, but it's going to be a problem for everybody, you know, and and for the fans especially. You heard what Richard was just saying. If you're not already, if you're coming to this game and you're not already drinking water, you're behind. Start drinking it right now. Hydrate yourself. So Arkansas got about anybody in the uh, the front seven that can give Ole Miss fits, Rippy. They have four seniors on the defensive line. You almost just died too. I do. I'm making fun of hate at it. I sound as bad or worse. Um, you see what happens. No, no, it's it's been that way since beforehand. I just ignored karma. that karma. Um, hey, I don't. Anyway, uh, you don't believe in karma? We're not a different conversation, different day. They do have four seniors, one of whom is out, but that name is escaping me right now. I was trying to go back and listen during the break, but I couldn't get to that point before we came back on air with a strained artery, uh, and I've never ah. heard of that. I don't know how you do that. A strained artery? That is what she said. You didn't ask for any additional details or clarification? It'd be pretty bad look of me if me as a doctor asked a non-doctor for advice on that. <laughs> Jeez. And like, my professional opinion on that is that hey, that is dying. Anyway. That made me laugh. That was a cough laugh. Have you Googled strained artery to find any more? No, about I'm going to let that one slide. Say about the old strained artery. 
I don't know. But point being, they can cause problems. And really, with the way Ole Miss played last week, particularly on the left side of the offensive line, they can have four guys that were just kind of eh and still give Ole Miss some fairly fairly serious issues, particularly with them blitzing off that side. So, you think Arkansas is more or less athletic on the defensive side of the ball than Memphis was? I haven't watched enough of either team's tape to make an educated guess. I would, based off of some of the recruiting rankings I saw from Memphis, I would guess Arkansas, but I don't know that for a 100% fact. A strained artery is a neck issue, a neck injury. It's also a strained artery, uh, which is real. I just Googled it. I mean, I didn't doubt that it was real. Uh, it's Dorian Gerald, and it... He is out for the rest of the year and is on a blood thinner. That sounds fairly serious. Yeah, yeah this scary. thing says it could lead to a stroke if not addressed. Hmm. So he will not obviously play the rest of this year. That includes this game. So And he was a starter? He was. They the start four line. seniors on the defensive line. Hmm. And his backup, I believe, is also a senior. I could, let's see. You got a uh, a question for either of these guys about Arkansas or Southern Miss? You can shoot it to us on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395 601-879-4395 C Spire customer inspired. Uh we are glad to have you along this afternoon. Uh you can also tweet the show at Sports Talk M I S S Sports Talk Miss on uh, on Twitter. The athleticism Question, hey, Dad, I think applies as well. Although I don't know if it makes a difference one way or the other. Is Southern Miss more talented than Louisiana was on Saturday? Do you think these are comparable teams? You know, I addressed that very question on the Thunder and Lightning podcast, which you can also All this shameless self-promotion happening today. It's fantastic. Uh, I think that offensively, Louisiana. Michael Borky, what did you address today on the Michael Borky show? I'd rather just talk about the radio show we're doing right now. Very good. <laughs> Louisiana, on, I think I think offensively is a much better team than USM, but on the other side of that, USM is a much better defensive team than Louisiana is. So I think they will pre- present some challenges for MSU uh, offensively, but on the other side of that, I think State, which is much needed at this point, uh, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to have a, a good defensive game. There you go. And uh, Gerald is a junior, not a senior. I had that wrong. Okay. We um, we got the uh, the release from Mississippi State earlier today about game day stuff, staying hydrated. You can bring a water bottle in. Ole Miss also had a release today. They have released the results from their game day improvement survey. And here are the things that will be notably different this year, according to Ole Miss Athletics. There's they a are defense, drastically one. Say what? Number one, there's a defense this year. No, this is about game day atmosphere. Oh, I'm sorry. Which also will uh, help. Uh, they are drastically reducing the number of on-field recognitions and presentations. I have so many Borky friends. Borky was all over that last year. Because <laughs> I went to that Auburn game, and it's like, you know, it's an SEC West game, and it's a close game, and every single break, instead of playing music or doing engaging the fans, it was, 
Now, turn your attention to the video board where we will recognize this random guy who gave us some money at the 10-yard line. Everybody welcome this random guy. And then that would be it. Killed the atmosphere every single break in the game. Glad that's over. Yeah. It's either you either on or what? Eight figures or just leave it to the buzzed kid who just kicked it through the field goal for free chicken for a year? <laughs> People get behind that. They've also moved the band to a more centralized location in the student section. There'll be like one section to the left of the goal post, uh, goal post kind of in the middle. Thoughts and prayers. Added student party section that can accommodate 2,400 fans with shade TVs, fans, and charging stations and some other things as well. 15 new concessions points of sale. The Brian Rippey Media Center. Some uh, news items from around the NFL as it pertains to the state of Mississippi. No, Dak Prescott does not have a new contract with the Cowboys. Not yet. Nick uh, Mullins will be the backup quarterback for the San Francisco Santa Clara 49ers. Little surprise or fanfare, he outlasted C.J. Beathard to win the number 2 quarterback spot and will be Jimmy Garoppolo's backup going into Sunday's season opener at Tampa Bay. Mullins broke the news at his locker on Monday, solving one of the offseason's mysteries, according to the folks at the Mercury News, and one that might be relatively meaningless if Garoppolo stays healthy in his comeback from knee reconstruction. Mullins, with regard to Jimmy Garoppolo, said, Super excited for him. We all encourage each other. We all have a positive mindset in the room. You could see what the offense can be in that third preseason game. Ran the ball, threw the ball, protected very well. Look forward to carrying that momentum into week one. Is San Francisco a team that is on the upswing in the NFL? A lot of people think that they are. Uh, Even Warren Sharp, I, I finally finished his lengthy if you think Phil Steele is thorough and with his preview stuff, Warren Sharp's NFL magazine is like five times thicker, and it, it becomes work to to read it. But I finally got finished with it, and he and a lot of NFL people believe that they are like the next football factory like New England. They, they really believe in the coaching staff and stuff there. But Garoppolo's thrown from, what, 1,500 yards once in his career? And you've got all this money and you're building a franchise around a guy that hasn't shown you that he can do it at a high level yet. An interesting dynamic there. There's a lot of belief, but not a lot of substance yet. You can't really be on the upswing until you start, you know, swinging up. They were 4-12 and last year. I mean, let's see them go to get to 7-9 and or 8-8, and and then we can talk about that. Kyle Shanahan, another one of the young coaches in the NFL, 39 years old. He's been the uh, head coach in San Fran since 2017, a couple of years as the offensive coordinator in Atlanta, Cleveland for a year before that, four years as the OC in, uh, with the Redskins. And how about being 39 years old and having been in the NFL since 2004? He's 39 and has spent 15 years as an assistant or an offensive coordinator in the NFL. It's a little crazy. Twenty-four years old when he started as an assistant with uh, Tampa Bay for a couple of years, and then moved to Houston, and then has moved on since then. When I was twenty-four, I was playing video games in my apartment. 
Yeah, but they were football video games at least, right? Uh, Halo mixed in. C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Greg and Nettleton. Uh-oh. Real talk. You couldn't pay me to ask these two yahoos. Nothing. 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 If anything, I'd ask when you're leaving. That's from Uncle G, Greg and Nettleton. <laughs> Is someone paying him or forcing him to, to you know, listen? Hey, whoa, whoa now, whoa! Are you in a Greg's been a regular. Greg? Greg has been a regular for a long time. Has he been a regular, you know, crushing you the whole time? Jeez Louise. He's done a full 180 on me. Six weeks Crush. ago, he hated my guts. Now he loves me and hates you. Wow. He wasn't crushing me, hey, Dad. He was crushing you and Rippy. I'm saying beforehand, did he did he did he used to, you know, crush you? Um uh, there's been times. Yeah, we've we've all taken a turn with Greg. I see. The good news is though, Greg can be um uh, he can come around on you. It just takes a little time sometimes. So keep so keep plugging, hey dad. I'll do the best I can. <laughs> I know you were worried about that. I'm, uh I'm DK Metcalf is back at practice in Seattle. He had the minor knee surgery two weeks ago, August 20th, and after being held out of the team's second preseason game, uh, that was after being held out of the team's second preseason game against the Vikings, Pete Carroll always said that they expected Metcalf to make a quick recovery, but there's been no certainty as to whether or not he would play in the regular season opener. Seattle opens with Cincinnati on Sunday. Uh, on Monday after practice, Pete Carroll said he looked good today. He had a fantastic recovery. If you can imagine, it was just a couple of weeks ago. Fantastic recovery. He looked great out there, and today he was running. He practiced with us throughout the practice. So it sounds like you're going to see DK Metcalf in the opener for Seattle. Interesting conversation I had um, earlier this week with uh, some people that were tied to the NFL. And do you remember all that was made about DK Metcalf after the combine? Like everybody freaked out about what he looked like, but then people also freaked out about his shuttle run times. And then we saw him drop in the draft. He went from being a first round pick projected to a later round pick. And apparently multiple NFL teams either took him off their board or pushed him way down the board, not because of his shuttle run times at the Combine, but because of the injuries he had while he was in college. And I said, well, yeah, okay, I get that. They do that with players that have been injured multiple times. But if you look at his injuries, they were kind of like standalone freak injuries. He broke an ankle as a freshman when he came down funny on it. And he broke his neck on a kick return team where he came down and they said doesn't matter in the eyes of a lot of NFL people they just look at it and they go this guy hasn't played much he's been injured a lot and we're not taking that risk certainly not with the first round pick I just thought that was fascinating to kind of hear that insight from some NFL people as opposed to just the speculation of you know Lateral movement is this or that, and he didn't run routes in college. It wasn't those, those; those were not the things. The things were the injuries. Yeah, just uh, that that 
shuttle run being such a problem was fascinating to me because they were comparing it to guys that are five foot ten, hundred and eighty-five pounds, and it's like DK Metcalf is never going to be the kind of receiver that is running. Not going to be Brandon Cooks. He's not going to be Brandon Cooks. He's not. His body's not built that way. It's not possible. He's going to be a guy that you put out wide and throw him deep balls. That's what he's good at. That's what he was going to be. So that's. A, Interesting insight because those NFL guys comparing him to those kind of people that never really made all that much sense to me. So at least there's some clarity. Everybody's trying to get their 53 man roster squared away. They're not quite there yet. Laquan Treadwell, former first round pick out of Ole Miss, got cut by the Minnesota Vikings and is now getting a look in Buffalo. Among the names visiting the Bills today, I guess this was yesterday, from Ian Rappaport rap sheet on Twitter. Um, former Bucks second-round pick Noah Spence, former Vikings first-round pick Laquan Treadwell. Is there a chance that a different place could be like the, the fresh start or the restart that Laquan Treadwell desperately needs? Or is it just not going to work in the NFL? You do wonder. He, he was never the same after that injury. It's When you look back at it, it was so long ago, but still. He's a wide receiver that shattered his ankle and, what, tore every ligament in that ankle? It's hard to come back from that, especially when before the injury there were still questions about his separation ability. And then after something like that, I mean, how can you come back and be the same guy? That's the number for the C Spire text line. I'm going to call y'all's bosses and let them know the show sucks and y'all should be off the air. Good day, sir. Hope you checked your text messages. Borky gave you the direct dial number to uh, Super Talk Mississippi. Thanks for listening. Um, Everybody's so angry today. Why is everybody so angry? One day without football when everybody's losing their mind. I don't know. NFL tomorrow. What did you say about Rippy? I blame Rippy. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, NFL tomorrow night. Game one of the season. Do you like this one to open the year? Green Bay at Chicago. Traditional rivalry. It feels to me, and I'm not discounting Aaron Rodgers. I'm not. But it feels to me like two teams that are headed in the opposite directions. Like Green Bay is, maybe even last year, kind of started into a down cycle. And Chicago is trending up. Now, a fully healthy Aaron Rodgers maybe makes you think completely differently about that. I just don't feel like Aaron Rodgers really g-haws with his coaches anymore. I don't know if it's because he's been in the league so long and he probably knows more than his coaches, or he's just, I think I'm the smartest guy in the room guy, or if he's bored. It's still kind of hard to pick against him in a two-minute drill, though, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I won't be surprised if the Packers take they, they bounce back a little bit this year. Chicago a three-point favorite at home tomorrow night. In the NFL opener, 720 kickoff on NBC. We'll wrap it up with you next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.